And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's go, man. Tear it off, dude. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, guys, it's it's an absolute honor. We've already done this once before, an NFC Championship game podcast. It was a couple years ago, though. Feels like forever ago at this point. We've been through a lot since then. But now we get to gear up again for what should be another home game for the 49ers in an NFC Championship, right? Uh, not at Levi Stadium, but it's going to be at SoFi Stadium, a San Francisco-based company, by the way, SoFi. I looked it up a couple days ago, and that makes it all make sense. Uh, <laughs> the 49ers <laughs> took it over in Week 18, and Matt, uh, it does appear that they're going to have that place taken over again. And, you know, I, I normally don't like to lead the podcast with this kind of stuff, but I think this has a direct impact on X's and O's. And the fact that the 49ers might be getting home field advantage for the NFC title game is huge news. Yeah, and um, you know, we saw after the Week 18 game, uh, Matthew Stafford's wife took to, to radio to complain about it uh, and the fact that her husband had to go silent count in his own home field. So, I mean, if she's on the radio complaining about it, you know that it bothered uh, uh, Matthew Stafford to no end as well. And, uh, you know, this is all part of, uh, of his big transition. He goes from Detroit, uh, a city that really loved him for the most part, but where he got no support, uh, you know, from the organization as far as, you know, how the defense was, how the team was set up, the front offices, the ever-changing coaching carousel, to one that's got real stability inside the building, but doesn't really have the fan base at this time. So um, it's he's sort of uh, out of the frying pan and into the fire a little bit. And, uh, you know, to me, this is going to sound obvious, but this game is going to come down to, to interceptions. Which, which quarterback throws more? Which quarterback gets rattled more? And you're right. I, I feel like... Uh, yeah, you know, the, the the respective defense uh, are are obviously the the main component of that, but the crowd is is, is part of it as well. So um, that favors the 49ers. The last time we uh, we did a podcast like this, it was a home game, and the 49ers won it handily. This one isn't a home game technically, Dennis, but it could certainly have the feel of a, a home game, or, or at the very least, a, a neutral site. Yeah, and it, and it sounds like. You know, the, the, the Rams may want to rethink their marketing scheme as far as, you know, trying to limit uh, ticket buying by 49er fans because it's kind of throwing fuel on the fire. I'm sure now, even though those tickets are crazy expensive, I think a lot of 49er fans are going to be there. And we forget it. It's California. It's Southern California. We're in Northern California. It's not like it's a big truck to get down there. So, you know, I, I'm expecting to see a whole lot of red in that stadium like it was, what, three weeks ago, and that was amazing. And, uh, you know, one of my, my co-hosts uh, on the radio, John Lund, he was down there, and he said it was loud, you know, especially in that uh, third and end of the third quarter and the fourth quarter. So, you know, home field advantage is home field advantage. And uh, having a crowd behind you is huge, you know, especially when it comes to when the opposing, or I guess the home team is on the field, uh, and they have to go to a silent count. And I, and I found that interesting because I heard all the news about Matthew Stafford's wife getting on whatever podcast or whatever show she was on, and she was complaining about it. So, guarantee Matthew Stafford felt it. So, let's go 49er faithful and let's get out there and, and get those tickets and, you know, pack that stadium and make some noise. I'm excited about it. It literally shook after Ambry Thomas delivered the game ceiling interception in week 18. And uh, little do we know that that was just going to be the start of the fun in LA. This is going to be an electric environment at SoFi. Third time this season that the 49ers and Rams play. The 49ers going for win number seven in a row against LA. Matt, the big thing in my mind is that the 49ers have dominated seven of nine quarters 
against the Rams. And the two quarters that LA has bested the 49ers in were the first two of week 18 when Garoppolo was coming off the injury and Colton McKivitz was starting at left tackle. Kyle Shanahan said that he expects Trent Williams to play. We'll still see if that's going to be true. He has an ankle injury. He was out of practice on Wednesday. But uh, the 49ers have had the Rams number for a reason, not only over the nine quarters of football this year, but also dating back to the 2018 season. It's because they've been tougher than them at every single position, especially the important ones. You could, you know, start with quarterback. Garoppolo's hung in there against pressure. He's delivered passes. You could go back to the third and 16 game against Jared Goff, right? When he had those two third and 16s where the 49ers were in max protect, or you could go back even further than that when he had to beat the Rams without both starting offensive tackles in week six of that season. So he was tougher than Goff and he was tougher than Stafford in week 18. I think if that continues, if that trend perpetuates throughout this game, the 49ers will again be in the driver's seat. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, that's it. I mean, it's, it's the two QBs. And I remember a year ago, almost to the date, uh, Mike Shando and I, another uh, athletic reporter, did a, did a story where we talked to as many executives and, and head coaches and um, personnel guys anonymously and, and asked them, you know, because at that time, Matthew Stafford was available and the 49ers were thought to be one of the teams uh, that were going to, to be shopping for him. And so the question was, are the 49ers better off with Garoppolo or better off trading, you know, it would have been, as it turns out, multiple first round draft picks to Detroit for Matthew Stafford. And, um, you know, the overwhelming sentiment was that, you know, Matthew Stafford is the better quarterback. He's got the better arm. He's more dangerous, this, that, and the other. There were a few dissenting voices that pointed out that, you know, the 49ers went to the Super Bowl with Garoppolo in 2019. They obviously can win with him. They should uh, stay the course with him. Um, and it's just so funny that a year later, these two guys are the last two guys standing in the NFC. Uh, so, I mean, both teams made the right decision. I'm not sure the 49ers even had a decision to made, make. It, it sounded as if Stafford was heading to LA no matter what due to his relationship with Sean McVay. But, um, you know, it's it's quarterback, 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 and I know Dennis hates talking about quarterbacks <laughs> as much as we do, but that's where we are. And like I said, it's, you know, and both of these guys, by the way, throw a lot of picks. They're both uh, very aggressive with the ball. They both have head coaches that want them to be very aggressive with the ball. Uh, Kyle Shanahan made that point on on Monday uh, or, or Wednesday when he was asked, you know, do you want uh, Jimmy Garoppolo to throw the ball away more than he does? And he said, well, yeah, of course, when there's not, nothing open, you should throw the ball away or take a sack. But Jimmy Garoppolo has shown that he can squeeze the ball into windows. He's very accurate. And he pointed at that Juwan Jennings third and five pass uh, that went off of Jennings' hand, but it was a marvelous pass. And he says that, you know, if you can make those work, go for it. And uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has done that, and uh, that's gonna be that's gonna be it. Which of the, those two guys is going to connect on those risky passes? Because they're both uh, not averse to taking risks, and uh, they both throw, like I said, a lot of uh, picks. Stafford throws a lot of TDs too, and Garoppolo uh, engineers a lot of late game-winning drives. So. That's the uh, that's the backdrop. That's what it's going to come down to, Dennis, in this game. I think you're right, Matt. I think it's going to be about the turnovers and the takeaways. Um, whoever kind of wins that battle, I think, wins this football game. And, yes, quarterbacks are very important. But this game's going to come down to uh, the defensive lines. Uh, can the 49ers put that pressure, like they've done before, on Matthew Stafford, and make them get even more riskier with those throws and force them to throw some interceptions. And can the 49ers offensive line uh, protect Jimmy Garoppolo? Now, this, this Rams offensive line, I think they've gotten better. I think Von Miller has finally found his stride. He's getting a lot of quarterback pressures, a lot of sacks. You know what Aaron Donald does. And this defensive line gets after it now. They're playing a whole lot better. So it's going to be a battle, like always, in the trenches. You know, can, who, who can protect the quarterback the best? And we know Jimmy Garoppolo is great as long as he's sitting in the pocket and he can throw those little short passes to Debo or Jennings. 
uh, and uh, Brandon Ayuk and, and those yak yards. We know, you know, you can win a football game with a run game. Matthew Stafford, we know if you put some hits on him, he's going to throw you some picks. And he's going to throw you some picks in the fourth quarter. Because if you hit him, you know, three quarters, he's going to start feeling that pressure coming. He's going to roll out. He's going to throw those interceptions. So, you know, quarterbacks, it's going to be about the quarterbacks, but it's going to be more about these defensive fronts and, and the offensive line. So that's going to be the game, like always, one in the trenches uh, and and the takeaways. Who, who can force these quarter the quarterback, Matthew Stafford, I hope, to make more errors than the other. It's going to be a white knuckle ride, I think, to the finish. That's just the style of this 49ers team and maybe the Rams team as well. That that was a hell of a game in Week 18. We know that the focus is going to be on the quarterback position. It always is. It is the most important spot on the field, but I think you guys have great points about both lines in this game. The Rams on the offensive line, they were the number one pass-protecting unit throughout the entire regular season until the 49ers showed up in Week 18 and hit Matthew Stafford 13 times. So the 49ers won the battle up front between their D-line and a good pass-protecting Rams O-line. To me, I I think that proved that this 49ers defensive line, if it stops the run, which it has, it's been the best run defense in football since Week 8. If they do that, and the Rams only average 2.6 yards per carry in Week 18, uh, the 49ers are going to tee off. Eric Armstead is playing the best football of his career. Nick Bosa is playing the best football of his career. Arden Key is playing the best football of his career. Jordan Willis is, I mean, you just go down the list. All of these guys are playing the best football of their careers, and they're coming in waves, right? So the 49ers are ready for this, and I think that they're better than any offensive line in football right now with their D-line if they stop the run. And and obviously that's the number one part of their job description and that's going to have to happen again in this game. On the other side, the 49ers that 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 it, I'm assuming Trent Williams is going to play. If he's not going to play, it's going to be tough. I know they beat the Rams with two backup tackles in week 18 with McKivitz and with with Tom Compton, but I don't know if that's exactly a sustainable formula against the defensive front that's this good with Von Miller now really surging for the Rams. He's going to be working on that left tackle spot. So, um the 49ers in this game offensively if Williams plays they need to give Tom Compton the correct amount of help on the right side to not cripple their passing offense, right? They need to make sure that, you know, you can't max protect forever because then you have less guys going out for routes. But they need to choose and, you know, maybe on a down, Kyle Juszczyk goes and helps out. Maybe on a different down, George Kittle goes and helps out. But Compton was an issue in pass protection against the Packers, and he will get exposed against the Rams if the 49ers don't have the right game plan. So to me, Matt, that's the critical flashpoint for the 49ers offensively is how well do they shield that right side schematically from the disadvantage that they have against this Rams front? Because, you know, you talk all day about Compton and Von Miller, but Aaron Donald can also move around and give the 49ers trouble on that right side, maybe even against tackle, but but I'm worried about Daniel Brunskill for the 49ers at right guard. Yeah, both of these teams, uh, their defensive lines seem to be peaking at the right time. And, and Dennis pointed this out that, that Von Miller got there and I think he's probably uh, dealing with an injury early on, dealing with a new team. But week by week, he's gotten better. And <laughs> he looked like the Von Miller of old in Tampa Bay this past weekend. The 49ers have that situation as well. And, and, and we've talked quite a bit about Bosa uh, moving over to the left side a little bit, Eric Armstead moving inside and then getting better each week. But you can say that about so many guys on this team. Jordan Willis, the star uh, the special team star from Saturday's game. Remember, he he started the season uh, on a suspension. Uh, so he wasn't even taking part early on and uh, came back into the fold. And he's gotten a little bit better as the year go- year's gone on. Um, Kevin Givens was injured early on. He's gotten a little bit better as the year's gone on. Charles Amenehue was a, a trade pickup. He wasn't familiar with the system. It's, it's not... Um, it's not uh, like a lot of other defensive line systems. It, you know, it, it's this wide nine, aggressive. It, it does take a little bit of getting used to, even though it is very instinctual. But um, he's a guy in the, in the Cowboys game in particular who uh, showed up. And, and like I said, he's gotten better and better. This whole unit is surging at the right time. And it was sort of the opposite back in 2019. Remember, that, that unit was 
uh, on fire to begin that season. It was terrific at midseason. That game against the Carolina Panthers uh, jumps out to me. But then they had some in, in, injury issues. Uh, D. Ford late, no DJ Jones in the, in the postseason. Uh, Ronnie Blair had the ACL. They were weaker at the end of the year than they were at the beginning of the year. This team, Dennis, is the absolute opposite, and I think that's that's their their biggest uh, calling card. Their, their, you know the the most positive thing going for this team, especially when you compare it to the 2019 team heading into these uh, last one or possibly two football games. Yeah, this 49ers defensive line, it reminds me of, you know, back in the 90s when we had, you know, we were three deep. I mean, we were dressing like nine defensive linemen every football game, and we just kind of rolled in. You know, the, the, you know the, the, the ones played pretty much the first quarter, and then we started rolling, rolling guys through. And that's what this defensive line is right now. They've got guys coming off the bench that can get after it. And they've got guys that got tackles. You know, DJ Jones, we can talk about him. He's gotten so much better. And Eric Armstead, Dave, you said it. I mean, this. I mean, he's playing the best football he's ever, ever played. I think he's averaging two sacks a game now, and he's playing to run well. So, you know, it's, it's going to be important that these guys show up. And, you know, that first game, you know, they spotted the 49ers, um, what, 17 points. I, I don't know if they can, they can overcome that in an NFC playoff game, but, you know, they got to show up early. I mean, if they show up early and they get after Matthew Stafford, get some hits on him, get some harasses on him, and stop that run, they're going to be successful. And on the other side of the football, I look at Von Miller. I mean, you that, that's a guy that you can run right at. I mean, if you want to attack the perimeter, attack the edges – you know, that's that that should be the game plan for Kyle Shanahan and his offense, because Von Miller, I mean, he's you know, he's a he's a linebacker. I mean, you know, you, you can run some of that outside stuff. I mean, he's an athlete. He's quick. But if you can get a body on him, get Trent Williams on him, you can pancake that guy and you can get some good yardage on the outside. So, you know, this offensive line, Tom Compton, yeah, he gave up a few sacks last week. I mean, he's going to be an issue. That's something that's going to show up on tape. But you can, if you get your running game going, you can get some of these pass. I mean, even Aaron Donald, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, if, he, if he's playing the run, you know, he's going to slow down that pass rush a little bit. So you got to establish the run. We all know it. you got to establish the run. Uh, and then it's going to open up everything else for this offense. But I, I think the game plan should be attack those edges and run right at Von Miller. Did Von Miller just call Jimmy G a playboy? Did you guys see that? <laughs> is, is that a compliment a, or an insult? I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think I just I, – well, I just saw this on our Slack channel. I don't know. I'm not going to name names of who, who told me, but uh, uh, just in case he was joking. But, uh, I mean, that would add some fuel to this rivalry. I'm not sure. I, I, I would take it as a compliment if I were yeah, Jimmy. I, it depends on the context, though. If he says, what's up, playboy? I mean, that's a that's a compliment. That's yeah, that's a compliment. A compliment. But, if he, but if he's insinuating that, that he's just, you know, some pretty boy out there that's not, not uh, you know, tough, that, that that's A, not true based on how these 49ers-Rams games have gone, and B, uh, teams are just looking for bulletin board material no matter what right so uh, think back to week 18 George Kittle goes out and says what I thought was a innocuous comment he says oh I think this is gonna be a body bag game because he's meaning to say that, that both teams are just gonna beat the crap out of each other he's saying it was gonna be a physical game he turns around and finds out that the Rams printed that out and put it up on their bulletin board because he thought that uh, that they thought or at least they deceived themselves into believing that that George Kittle was saying that the 49ers were going to put the Rams into a body bag. I think that these two teams just dislike each other enough to where even if stuff is said, like like what we just said with the body bag, or if Von Miller did indeed call Jimmy G a playboy, uh, I think that's going to end up on a bulletin board at the other team's <laughs> facility, right? Uh, Dennis, I mean, let, let me ask you, Dennis. You, you played the Cowboys and the Packers. That kind of stuff, did that end up on the bulletin board or no? Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, that's kind of a, I, I don't know. I have to listen. I have to see the the whole statement, but I don't know. that That's not really bulletin board. I mean, body bag is a, bullet, a bulletin board because he's, George Kittle was talking about he's going to, you know, you're going to kill somebody, put him in body bag. Yeah, calling somebody a playboy, that's kind of a it's kind of a compliment, you know, in, in locker room terms. So he's probably like, hey, he's a playboy. He's a pretty boy playboy. That's kind of a compliment. I don't think that is going to make a bulletin board. But, uh, it, it, you know, it might because everything you kind of say about your opponent kind of ends up 
on the the opposing team's bulletin board. But I don't know. That's kind of a compliment. Somebody call me a playboy. My wife wouldn't like it, but I'd be like, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> well, I mean, these teams were were chirping at each other uh, relentlessly in that Week 18 game. I remember that that first play where, where Debo Samuel got the ball on that outside run, and Jalen Ramsey gives him a good wallop at the sideline. But <laughs> But it's Ramsey who goes down, and and uh, Debo stayed on his feet, went out of bounds. But Ramsey pops up, and they obviously were um, trying to send a message to Debo at that point uh, that you're not going to run over us. Uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna hit you on the outside every chance we get. And they got up in his face. And I give credit to Debo Samuel. He just sort of walked away, and I, I'm sure certain that he sort of internalized that and kind of pushed it into the the pit of his belly for for fuel and then obviously the the 49ers used that against the Rams in this game but um yeah I'm gonna throw this back to Dennis one more time I mean when, when you see teams doing that chirping early um you know kind of getting in the opposition's face I, I don't know to me sometimes it's an indication of insecurity uh, among that team I remember the <laughs> Carolina Panthers doing that a lot to the 49ers in the 2013 playoffs. And then, you know, after the, the first quarter, they weren't doing it anymore because they started to get dominated. But, I mean, is part of that just trying to psych yourself up in those instances? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, you want to you wanna get yourself and, and you want to be, you know, we talk about bully ball. I mean, that's, that's, that's the beginning of it. You know, it, 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 some guys, you can get in their heads. Uh, you know, I remember Ronnie Lott was a was a big talker on the field. Uh, Larry Roberts was a huge talker. Just getting, you know, sometimes you can get into a player's head and you can you can really say some things um, that you know that makes guys kind of think. But uh, that's part of football, right? The shite talking is part of football. That's what you do. You try to get in someone's head. You kind of talk about them. You know, make them, you know, maybe miss an assignment or, or miss the snap count because, you know, you're so angry and so mad. But the best way to do it is just to be physical. I mean, that, that, that was always the way to do it. I mean, you can talk all you want, but when the, when the ball is snapped, I mean, that's going to be that's going to determine the whole game. That's going to set the tone of the game. When you see guys early in the game kind of, you know, hit someone and, and say something after, you know, you're just trying to get yourself psyched up. All right, this is a football game. All right, this is, I'm going to be here all day. This is what, I mean, Lawrence Taylor was great about that, just talking to people the entire football game, offensive linemen, quarterbacks, everybody. So that's part of the football game. But when the, when the, when the whistle's blown and the ball is snapped, you know, that's when it really comes out. That's when you can really get after someone and just by being physical, and that's how you bully someone. But, you know, talking is part of football. Did you guys hear what Sean Payton said in his retirement press conference? He said that the 49ers are this year's Tampa Bay Buccaneers from, from last year. He said that the Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl after eliminating New Orleans last year in the playoffs. I thought that was a really interesting comment. And, you know, to be honest, I think there are some parallels the remember in in that 2020 season the buccaneers lost twice to the saints in the regular season and then they beat them in the postseason in the divisional round so they turned it on and then they they won the super bowl so i thought that was really really high praise from sean payton and what it made me think of matt is the 49ers have a really talented hard-hitting peaking linebacking core right now and that's what tampa bay had last year yeah, obviously I have Fred Warner, but the way that Dre Greenlaw and Aziz Alshire have come off their injuries, uh, it gives me, you know, not only good linebacker core vibes, but it gives me kind of 2012, 2013 49ers vibes where they have those guys who can cover and hit and intimidate on the second level. And we've spent a ton of time talking about the defensive line, rightfully so. We spent a ton of time talking about how the secondary for the 49ers has improved and rightfully so. But maybe the difference in this game is going to be that middle level with Warner, Al Shire, and Dre Greenlaw. Yeah, I thought that was an underplayed uh, key to the Packers game. Um, when the 49ers used to, to beat Aaron Rodgers and the Packers uh, 10 years ago, uh, it was because they could you know, rush, rush Rodgers with four guys, but also because Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis uh, had such great wheels. They could get down, um, they could cover... Um, the 49ers could disguise their coverages. And I, and I thought that Fred Warner and Greenlaw were, were doing that. I thought that 
Um, and this was reflected in the, the PFF, Pro Football Focus, scores from the, the Packers game. Um, uh, Fred Warner had the highest coverage uh, game of, of the year for him, by far. Uh, and I thought that was just kind of reflected in what was going on. Uh, they were all over the field. Uh, they were they were kind of gumming up the passing lanes. And uh, I don't know if that's going to be quite uh, the uh, you know the 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 the, the big storyline against Stafford and the Rams. Um, you know, Stafford likes to go deep, can go deep. He likes to go to Cooper Cup. Um, gosh, I, I forget what the stats were in that Week 18 game, but uh, you know the, the 49ers could not stop Cup early on. I think he had something like 84, 85 yards in the first half alone. Stafford completed all of his passes to him. But in the second half, that stopped. Uh, I think he only completed two passes to Cup in the second. And, um, you know, going back to what we were talking about, it was because the 49ers really started making Stafford uncomfortable. Uh, and he just didn't have, uh, have the ability to throw. You know, one advantage that uh, the 49ers are going to have in this game that they didn't have in Week 18 is, is Kwan Williams. Remember, Williams was coming off of uh, the COVID list at that point, did not feel kind of secure in his preparation, didn't want to uh, put his team at a disadvantage. And so he did not play in that game. Um, but uh, he's back and looking like himself in practice today. Uh, that's going to be a big matchup for this team. Uh, if he can do what he thinks that he can do against Cooper Cup, hold him. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, I Cup had 118 yards in, in Week 18. I mean, if, if you hold this guy under 80, I think you've done a great job for the game. Uh, and, and that'll be uh, K1 Williams' challenge on Sunday. You know, Cooper, when I watch him play, it just seems like, you know, he he, he just knows how to get open. And uh, it, it's going to be tough to cover him because he's going to get his catches. But I, 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 I think back to that Green Bay game uh, and the beginning of the football game, it, it just looked like, uh, Adams and, and uh, Aaron Rodgers were just on the same page and you just couldn't cover him every pass. He was catching. But in the second half, it just felt like the 49ers were able to let... He, he got his catches, but but they were able to bring him down after he caught the ball. There was no big yak yard. So I think that should be the same uh, game plan against Cooper Cup. I mean, he's going to get his catch, his catches, because Matthew Stafford likes him, he trusts him, and he's... He's a sure-handed guy. He can catch the ball all ranges, wherever the ball, low, high, behind him, contort his body to catch it. I think he's going to get his catches, but you got to get him on the ground once he makes the catch. He can't be any any long gains after he catches the ball because I think he is so good at creating space and getting himself open. He's going to get his catches, and you know he's he's one of those quick trigger guys. You know he's 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 that slot receiver that's quick. He's quick out his routes, and, and Matthew Stafford really enjoys throwing to him because he's successful. But the linebacker, you're talking about the linebacker crew. I think this linebacker crew, they haven't played much together, but I think it's one of the better linebacker crews in the National Football League. These guys are athletic. They're hard hitters. They, they play downhill. They're able to, to see the run come and see the blocking schemes, get in the backfield. And there's some good pass rushes in there, too. So... You know, this linebacker crew is, is, is good. They just haven't been healthy. It's a, it's a good linebacker crew. Uh, and K-Wine being back, I mean, that's, I mean, that's going to help because he's probably the best flanker defensive back in the National Football League. So, again, it's going to come down to if you can, if you can make this, this team with just four rushers, rushing Matthew Stafford, getting home, getting pressure, uh, good uh, pass rush lane so he can't climb the pocket and make plays down the football field. I think Matthew Stafford's going to throw you a a pick, at least one pick six in this football game, and that's going to be that's going to be the difference. That's my bold prediction. There's going to be at I least one that. pick six. At least stick. one pick six. Love Not it. Forty nine. <laughs> I think Matthew Stafford's going to throw one pick six. There's my bold prediction. Matthew Stafford had three straight games with a pick six in the middle of this season, so he's not immune to those. And his interception rate is two point eight percent. Garoppolo's a 2.7. So it's, it's, I think Matt was talking earlier about both these, or maybe you were, Dennis, about both of these quarterbacks, um, you know, being, being prone to some interceptions because of how aggressive they are. They, they do try to fit that ball into, into tight windows, and, and that comes back to Burnham. Uh, it's been the case for both of these guys. And, 
a pick six in this game would go a long way toward uh, pushing the 49ers toward that Super Bowl appearance. That's for sure. Who do you think is going to get it? Are you going to go that far with your prediction? Uh, K-1. Thomas? K-1. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that, that was going to be my next point, is the 49ers in the Week 18 matchup showed tremendous depth and adaptability in the secondary because K-1 didn't play. That was the day after he came off the COVID list, but he still wasn't feeling well enough to play. And they lost Jaquaski Tart, you know, midway through the second half. And that forced Dante Johnson to move back to safety because he was initially the backup nickel. And they had to bring in Darquez Denard. That's right. There's signed no four days before. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no Hufanga either. So you had Denard signed on Tuesday, playing Sunday at the slot cornerback position against Cooper Cup, who was trying to set an NFL single season record. And he lines up in the slot more than any other receiver, really, uh, with with the, those types of prolific numbers. So that, that was a David versus Goliath kind of situation, right? If you look back on it in the second half. And Denard and the 49ers defense held their ground. The Rams had that one touchdown drive after halftime where Cup, you know, had a couple big catches, including the touchdown. But you have to give credit to Denard coming in in a, in a pinch and for Dante Johnson coming into that safety position that he wasn't all too familiar with and getting the job done. And as long as that secondary is good enough and they were against the Rams and they obviously were against the Packers, that's what gives that pass rush time to tee off and get home. Yeah, and, and I would love it if uh, Kwan Williams had a, a, a big game. Uh, I think he's probably underappreciated or unknown really uh, around the league. And he's been such a, uh, a valuable asset to this team. Um, I root for the little guy. He's physically small, smallest guy on the team. Uh, he entered the league. I don't even think that he was an undrafted free agent, like one of those priority undrafted guys. I think he was a tryout guy in Cleveland and then just latched on and um, has stuck around doing sort of this uh, this really um, uh, nickel cornerback. is has <laughs> got to be the hardest thing to do on defense because – you know the the receiver can go left, he can go right, he can he can go deep. Uh, often it's a big guy, sometimes it's a small guy. You're up around the line of scrimmage, right in the kind of the, the teeth of the action. There, uh, you're sort of a, a cornerback and a linebacker at the same time. And Kwan Williams has done it well, and he's a, a free agent coming up. So this would be a really uh, a classic spot to showcase your talents against a Cooper Cup. Everybody knows Cooper Cup. It's going to be Cooper Cup ad nauseum on uh, on the TV. It's not going to be so much uh, K1 Williams talking, but like I said, uh, 75 yards, 80 yards, that would be a colossal game for whoever the nickel is opposite Cooper Cup. And I think that K1 w- Williams has it in him to, uh, not, I'm not going to shut him down, but uh, to kind of keep the lid on that Stafford Cup uh, connection, yeah, and that, that's that's going to be, you know, one of one of the big storylines of the football game because he's going to get his catches, and like I said, you got to get him on the ground after he makes those catches because it, it, it's going to happen. And we're talking about K1. K1 is if you watch him, I mean, as far as the blitzes go, I mean, he's he he knows how to time up those blitzes uh, if D'Amico Ryan wants to bring him in the middle or on the outside, and he's really good against the run too I mean he's he's kind of a thumper I mean he's not the biggest guy in the world but you know run support he brings it so he's kind of all around you know I, I like I said I think he's one of the better uh, um, slot corners in the in the in the league I mean because he he brings all that to the table he brings his ability that that run support his coverage and then his ability to rush the passer just timing up you know because that's a tough thing to do kind of time up the snap because he doesn't want to really, you know, go one-on-one against any of these offensive linemen or even a fullback. He's really good about kind of disguising it and coming off the corner. And I saw, I forget what game it was, but he actually rushed up the middle. So, you know, he's you know he's going to be key to this game. Cooper Cup's going to be the key to this football game. I don't know if Dante Johnson's going to be out there, if Ambry Thomas is back. But, uh, I mean, you know what it's going to be. You know, The Rams are going to try to get a run game going, and they're going to try to attack these corners. So... It's going to be. It's a lot of different story storylines of this football game. But the bottom line is, I mean, this is one of the oldest rivalries in football. I think uh, I can't remember losing to the Rams, but you know, I, I know we used to beat up on them a lot, and and it was always a mentality. This is these are the same old Rams. 
Uh, the week preparing for the Rams, we always knew we we're going we to out-physical these guys and we're going to get after them. And once you know halftime hit, we knew we had them beat down. And we, we usually beat them up and we won the football game. But the, these two teams, you know, they don't like each other. And it, and it is the battle of California. I mean, Southern California, Northern California. So, you know, it's, 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 it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a physical football game. I'm excited for it. I'm excited for this game to happen. I know it's, it's, it's an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl, but it's going to be fun to watch these guys go at it. Hey, Dennis, do you know why you don't remember losing to the Rams? Probably because we didn't, huh? Yeah, because you didn't <laughs> lose to the Rams, literally. 49ers won 17 straight against the Rams in the 90s. The the last loss, this is some good history, came in 1989 in the regular season, and Dennis was a rookie in 1990. But 1989 is the year that the 49ers and the Rams played in the NFC Championship game at Candlestick Park. The Rams beat them that year at Candlestick. And the Rams thought they had a chance going into the NFC title game because they also had just upset the New York Giants at the Meadowlands on a walk-off touchdown in the divisional round. So they came into Candlestick confident with Jim Everett as the quarterback. And, you know, they said, well, we're just going to do what we did in the regular season and beat the 49ers on the road. Didn't turn out so well. The Rams took a 3 nothing lead. 49ers scored 30 unanswered, and they won 30-3. to Then they won their most dominant Super Bowl, 55-10 to over Elway. And the Broncos, and then the Rams wouldn't beat the 49ers until, I believe... 99 probably yeah probably not till 1999 when the greatest show on turf came in so the the entire 90s belonged to the 49ers and that was the span of your career Dennis so you you never lost to the Rams so I'm sure that you'd be upset if the 49ers uh, (laughs) dropped the ball this time yeah and I tell you we we used to play the Rams when they're at Anaheim Stadium they're the Anaheim Rams and they played you know where the uh where the Angels play and it was always funny because we that week we would always talk about Disneyland. You know, they 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 practice or they practice close to Disneyland, and we called them, you know, the Disneyland Rams. So that was always kind of fun. And I, I remember, I think it was a Monday night game when John Taylor had two ninety-yard, you know, receptions or something like that. But we we always beat up. We always I remember always beating up on the Rams, and but it was always a physical football game. Um, and I think come Sunday, it's going to be another physical football game. You guys remember the uh, Jim Everett, Jim Rome incident on, yeah. on Jim Everett's talk show? <laughs> I, I kind yeah. of... Uh, this was before well, David was born, I think. Well, so I remember it's that classic. Everett sacked himself in that 89 championship game. What, what was his deal with Jim Rome? Jim Rome was just <laughs> starting to make a name for himself and was trying to get under Jim Everett's skin and kept calling him Chris Everett, like Chris Everett Lloyd, the female tennis player, like that was an insult or something. And uh, Jim Everett told him to stop saying it. He said, he said it one more time and he <laughs> threw the desk aside and pounced on Jim Rome, who's not a huge guy. And, uh, you know, basically got really, really uh, rough. Uh, and, and people wondered whether it was set up to make Jim... Everett seemed like a tougher guy than he really was, that they staged it that way. Uh, and I don't know if we've ever gotten to the bottom of it, but uh, it, it didn't really pass the smell test at that time. But it was great TV, though, wasn't it? It's theater. I mean, yep. he, he just he kept saying, don't call me Chris. And he just kept saying, okay, Chris, I just called you Chris again. And he jumps across the table. It was awesome. Wow. Dave, you can probably find that on uh, YouTube somewhere. It's going to be something. I need to educate myself. I've educated (laughs) myself on 49ers history through YouTube, and it sounds like uh, this this is tangentially related. Jim Everett, I I do know that he did sack himself in in, in the game against the 49ers, that there was a phantom pass rush there. I guess he was seeing some ghosts, so people have been talking about that. So that that was the only 49ers-Rams-NFC championship game, only playoff meeting, and the 49ers won that one. Then you had uh, Ken Norton Jr. beating up the goalposts. Where were you for that, Dennis? Because uh, that was 95, so you were at that game. That was the final game at the old Bush Stadium. How, how close of a view did you have to, to Ken Norton Jr. Uh, beating up both goalposts? Well, if I remember the play correctly, it was the Rams were in the red zone. And I think, I, I think, I want to say that Merton Hanks intercepted or or it was a fourth down and they didn't get the they didn't you know we 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 took the ball over on downs and Ken Norton ran into to the uh into the end zone and just start 
punching. <laughs> he start punching the goalposts. And then people kind of remembered, oh, yeah, his dad is Ken Norton Sr. of the boxer. So, you know, and then he started doing it. It became a tradition. He just started kind of beating up the, the goalpost. But it was a big play. I think it was a fourth down in the red zone. We stopped him. And Ken just ran into the end zone and just instinctively just start, you know, kind of sparring with the goalposts. And, you know, it's, it, it became part of his tradition, part of his football game. I think he started... Beginning the beginning of each football game, he would run to the end zone and start kind of beating up the goalposts, and the crowd would just go crazy. <laughs> awesome! I I love '90s 49ers history. There was so much good stuff then. Like it, it, we talked about getting the Packers and the Cowboys. I guess the other way around, Cowboys and the Packers, and in, in a you know two game stretch. Well, the Rams were also a key part of the 49ers 1990s story because you guys just beat up on them every time, right? That that was like the the rest game for you, but but the fans loved it because the fans loved beating the Rams, given the history of that rivalry, and they moved to St. Louis, obviously, there. But we get all of the 1990s in this three-week stretch. You get the Cowboys first, then the Packers, and then the Rams for good measure. And remember, the Rams came in and kind of ended the 49ers' dynastic reign, especially on top of the NFC West, because Kurt Warner came in, right, with the greatest show on turf. So this has multiple layers of history that are all going to converge at SoFi Stadium on Sunday. Well, David, I started covering the team in 2003, which was, you know, the start of that uh, greatest show on turf or, or kind of uh, midway through that. And really the start of the 49ers decline. That was Dennis Erickson's first year and he didn't last more than two years there. Uh, so the, the 49ers were literally trying to keep pace with the Rams uh, those games in St. Louis, they they uh, they lost a few of those in a row. When I first started covering them, that that, that was uh, they were lost in the wilderness at that point. Those were the the Cody Pickett, Ken Dorsey. Uh, this team does not have a quarterback year. So uh, yeah, it, it's nice to see everything kind of back to normal now, Dennis. With uh, the 49ers, you know, uh, I was gonna say the 49ers on top. The 49ers finished third in their division. Uh, which a lot of people have noted that uh, they're going to the NFC Championship game uh, and going to play a third-place schedule next year. Um, the other thing that people have noticed is that that uh, draft pick that they sent to the Miami Dolphins uh, to get Trey Lance, that's going to be, at the very uh, earliest, number 29. So, uh, you know, everything is working out for this team and um, things are starting to, to look pretty good for next year as well. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and the one thing that I'm impressed with, and you, you know, you, you talk about their division record. They, you know, the only team they beat in the division were the Rams. And now they're, you're in the NFC Championship game. And, and these guys, you know, from three, three and five, I mean, you talk about some grit. And some determination, you know, at three and five, you know, Jerry, Jerry Rice was talking about there's no dogs on the team, you know, and then all of a sudden these guys find it or, or, or whatever happened, whatever speech, whatever team meeting it was, they figured it out. And, you know, they've been in the playoffs now for three weeks and for three weeks they have found out they have, they have figured out how to win football games. Special teams, offense, defense, whatever it is. They have figured it out. They've put it together. And that's what it takes to get to the Super Bowl. I mean, you got the guys on the field, but these guys on the field have to make plays and you have to figure out how to win football games. And that's what that that's what gets me fired up. These guys, they 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 find out, they figure out a way to win the game. And that and that's the bottom line. And and if it's one point, if it's a field goal at the last second, if whatever it is. Long as you win the football game, that's the goal, and the goal is to make it to the Super Bowl. That's that's everybody. That's every NFL the guys in Pop Warner now. They want to play in a Super Bowl. They want to win a Super Bowl or an opportunity to compete for a championship. And that's what it's all about, and that's with all the training camp, the preseason, the regular season. All that's about getting to the Super Bowl, and and these guys have an opportunity. I just I just hope they keep that intensity and that urgency. And on Sunday, they just find a way to win the football game. Well, they should have the crowd behind them, the data coming out. And this is almost like predicting election results, right? When you look at this, it's like polling. You look at the price and you're trying to figure out what, you know, who's buying these tickets. And they're just spiking right now. I think it's almost impossible at this point to even get in for less than $1,000. 
um, wow. to, to SoFi Stadium, which leads me to believe I, I really think, you know, just gauging what I see on social media, gauging the history of the 49ers and the Rams fan bases. Obviously, the Rams hurt themselves in the L.A. area by moving away for 20 years. But I think the purchasing enthusiasm is much higher on the 49ers side. So when you see prices that high and when you see Kelly Stafford, speaking of her, posting on Instagram that she's going to buy a bunch of tickets and give them away to Rams fans, yeah. that's, a little, that's a little desperate on the Rams part. I mean, exactly. I, when, when Kelly Stafford gets involved, you know that things are going well for the 49ers. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be really interesting. It's going to be a storyline before the game. I mean, how, how much of the stadium is red? How much of it is blue? I mean, David and I estimated I mean, 75%. That might be slightly high, but it was close to that. So if you're if you're at that on Sunday, I mean, you could make the excuse a little bit that, oh, okay, it's week 18. Uh, the Rams are going to make the playoffs. We, we might as well recoup some of our season ticket costs and, and sell to these, uh, these hungry 49ers fans. But if you're doing that now in the championship game, yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, that's just uh, that just denotes weakness, um, and uh, you know uh, that's what LA is known for. They're they're not going to uh, uh, help their reputation if that place is even one percent higher than fifty percent. Uh, 49ers fans. There was a good chance entering that game that the Rams needed it to win the NFC West to clinch the division. So, I mean... There was something at stake, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there was something at stake and all for the 49ers perspective, there was a good chance they were going to completely go up in flames and, you know, uh, lose their season. And and it looked that way at halftime, right? When they were down 17 nothing. So that there was a little bit of a risk for 49ers fans to go and buy up tickets for that game. Um I just say this to point out that the Rams really had no excuse for getting that swamped out at their own stadium. And the prices now, I, I mean, based on the enthusiasm we saw from Rams fans week 18, I don't see them wanting to buy tickets en masse at, at these prices. That's just kind of, I think that's what the logic says. We'll see if that ends up prevailing on, on Sunday. But I think Kelly Stafford must have some data. I'm sure the Rams have some data, right? And she's not going to be buying up tickets and announcing it on Instagram if the data were trending in in the Rams' direction. Um, that's that's just my theory on this whole thing. But uh, you know, people are going to wake up anxious on Sunday. I'm sure they're already anxious right now. Uh, it, it, we think about the last time the 49ers played an NFC Championship game, technically on the road. That was up in Seattle against a division rival. That was one of a that was a high anxiety game. This might be similar, right? These two teams don't like each other. Maybe officially now this this will take the torch, you know, from 49ers Seattle and 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 put it in a new spot, 49ers Rams, because now they they're playing for the same stakes that 49ers and Seahawks did back in that 2013 season. Uh, but what what I have to say uh, to to both of you guys is that you know this has just been so fun covering this team because it almost feels like a baseball team on a run in October where they just get all these pinch hits and, and they're so clutch and it's a different hero every week and sometimes multiple heroes. So last week you had Jordan Willis and you had Dante Johnson and even Josh Norman in for a play. And, you know, uh, it, it was just the, the, the ultimate team effort. And I think as we all wake up on Sunday, the one dream that you can have as a sports fan is being like, who's going to be the hero tonight? We're going to wake up on Sunday. We're going to say, who's going to be the hero tonight? And we literally won't know. We're going to walk into that place, which is an awesome stadium, and we won't know who the hero is going to be. But whoever the hero is going to be is going to help send his team to the Super Bowl. And to, to me, that, I mean, that's just awesome. I, I live for stuff like this, and I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Yeah, I'd love it to be an anonymous guy like like K1 or one of those backup uh, defensive linemen. Um uh, Charles Amenahieu, uh, Kevin Givens, uh, coming up with a, a a big sack, a big strip sack <laughs> at the end of the game. That would be uh, that would be fantastic. I think uh, uh, you know, kind of and perfect too, poetic for this team because uh, you're right. I mean, they really had to kind of rely on clutch performances by unknown guys. Jordan Willis. Um, uh, on, on Saturday. I mean, that, uh, that, that could end up being the play of the year for this team. Uh, so it, it would be uh, perfect, poetic, uh, dramatic, um, uh, all of the above, Dennis, if, if that's how this game ends. Yeah, and, you know, it, it'd be great to be a dramatic ending like that and make an exciting game, but I, I, I would just, I, w- I would rather see just dominating on 
both sides of the football. Um, you know, I, I, I can't handle any more down to the wire games. These last three weeks have been have been tough on me. I just want to see the 49ers go out, take care of business, play clean football and dominate the Rams like we did in the 90s from the first snap to the to the to the last whistle and, and move on to the Super Bowl. And we can talk about that. Um, but you got to find a way to win. You know, players have to make plays, whoever it is. If it's a backup defensive line, a backup cornerback or, or, or receiver, whoever it is, you have to find a way to win this game because the next game is the Super Bowl. And that's, and that's, what, we, that's what we all work for when we come into the NFL. So I'm excited for it. Uh, and, you know, it's, it, it's going to be fun to kind of watch in, you know, perfect weather. And uh, I, I just want clean football, but I want a good physical football game, and I want to see the 49ers come out victorious. All right. Well, we'll see what's going to happen. The 49ers certainly want to start more cleanly than than they did against the Green Bay Packers, where they dropped those three passes in the first quarter. And, you know, I just kind of was wondering right now, put it out on Twitter, what would that game have looked like if the 49ers had, had actually executed with, with those catches in, in the first quarter? Because Green Bay uh, wasn't a good defense, and, and I think that might have, you know, put the 49ers in the real driver's seat to do what Dennis was talking about. He wants to see a a, a clean win where, where they actually route somebody. Well, maybe that, that would have happened against Green Bay. Now, I think it's going to be tougher against the Rams because this is a balanced football team. This is, I mean, Rams are top five both phases of the game, unlike the Packers who were top five offense, number 22 defense. So um, as much as 49ers fans would like it, I don't think that a blowout is going to happen unless a couple things really bounce in their favor. So get ready for torture. That's all I have to say. Um, I think that's how it's going to work on Sunday. I think that's the way it was scripted. If somebody is up upstairs scripting these things, I think that's, the, you know, it's just going to be heartrending, and that's for sure. Well, we're going to stick with not making predictions, right? Okay. That's, that's by request from Dennis. Um, and we'll, you know, I'll put my prediction in the piece on the athletic. I'm sure Matt will too. So you guys all read that on Friday. Anyway, any other thoughts guys? Or, I mean, this is our last chance to speak before the NFC championship. Go Niners. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. All right. It's going to be good. Anyway, for Matt Barrows and Dennis Brown, this is David Lombardi. We will talk to you when we know who's going to the Super Bowl. How about that? Talk to you soon. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.